Yahoo announced a security breach affecting upwards of 1 billion user accounts. Cyber attack leaves 145 million eBay users at risk. Target announced up to 110 million customers may have had their identity and financial information compromised. Cyber security breach at Equifax could affect 143 million American consumers. And now your host, Nexus IT Group. Welcome back to another episode of Hacked into the Minds of Cybersecurity Leaders, brought to you by Nexus IT Security Group. This is your host, Ben Hotailing. Today we are joined by Aaron Blackstone. Aaron is the Chief Information Security Officer at the Texas Department of Public Safety. Aaron is a career security professional, having done research for the government and worked for one of the largest technology firms in Texas. He climbed to the CISO level in under nine years of professional experience. Welcome, Aaron. How's it going, sir? Doing great, doing great. Excited to talk today uh, with you about threat intelligence and your retaining security talent. Let's get things kicked off by uh, hearing your story. How'd you get into IT security? Well, actually, we go back far enough. When I was uh, a youngster, I got into uh, running a bulletin board system. You remember the old dial-ups? And I used the Spitfire and I ran a free bulletin board system. And that kind of curtailed me into the technology realm, if you will. And since then, it's just kind of uh, snowballed, uh, snowball effect as far as just getting more in depth and more in detail for it. And uh, man, I've loved every minute of it so far. It's 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 been really really fun ride. Great. I, I did see you went to uh, your college, got a computer science degree. Went to Sammy State University, computer science degree. Was doing the uh, the ROTC program at the time, so I commissioned as a military intelligence officer. Curtailed that into working for the Army Research Laboratory out at White Sands Missile Range, uh, doing uh, pen testing and accreditation for military networks. From that position, I pigtailed it over to working for Fifth Army in San Antonio as a network security engineer. Uh, Loved that position. From there, I was an ISO for the FBI field office, a regional ISO, for them in Houston, which was a a wonderful position as far as just getting a, a breadth of knowledge before then, I was kind of pigeon-toed into the military and DOD, and this let me look at DOJ and kind of the government as a whole. From there, I, I was still an a intelligence officer for the Army National Guard, the Texas Army National Guard, and I transitioned over to the Texas Air National Guard as a cyber operations officer, which I'm still currently in. A weekend warrior is, is what they call what they call us. Um, did a two-year active duty stint with them, and then upon my return from that, I took this position as the CISO for Texas DPS. So it has been a fun-filled ride, to say the least. Yeah, great. Is there anything in particular that attracted you to the IT and cybersecurity space, or was it the military that it kind of forced your hand? I don't want to say forced my hand. I think it was a privilege that I, I lucked into because you, back in college when I was getting a computer science degree, it, it, was, it was fun and it was enjoyable, but I liked breaking things. I liked kind of figuring out how it worked and, and why things did what they did and, and kind of that, that next level, if you will. Like once it was working, that was fine. That was, uh, that was all good. But then I was like, well, what can I do to, to break it or what can I do to make it so resilient that it can't be broken? And I think that next level and that, that passion kind of forward is what, what pushed me into this realm. 
Yeah, sure. Sounds like the security mindset. We actually just spoke with Michael Starks, ISSA, uh, your president up in, in Fort Worth, and he was talking about the security mindset and how you know he felt like he like you always wanted to break something or if not, you know, see how you could build it. So it couldn't be broken. Do you think that security mindset, something that can be learned or, you know, attached onto you know, later down the road, or do you think it was just innate? For me, I, I think it might've been innate, but I think for a lot of people, it's, it's more of just the passion that goes along with it. And, and we'll kind of probably talk about it a little later as far as retaining talent. But if, if you find someone that is passionate about something, whether it, and this applies to almost anything, uh, whatever they're passionate about, that's what they're going to excel at and exceed if you give them the opportunity. Giving someone the opportunity in cybersecurity, if that's what they're passionate about, just it's, it's an exponential uh, snowball effect. They'll just keep doing better and keep surprising you with how much effort and energy they'll put into something to make it wonderful. Sure. Let's talk a little bit more about you know, threat landscape and, and threat intelligence. So you know, first off, Help us define you know, threat intelligence, what it means for you and, and in your role and you know, what it looks like here in modern environments. Threat intelligence generally, you know, the definition that I always common use is specific data used to reduce like attack vector against an entity, if you want to get a general definition. And I think the modern landscape currently is quite overwhelming. You have all these open source DHS, Isaacs, all this information that's that's feeding you intel, uh, threat intel, and it, it, it's kind of like drinking from a fire hose. And I think moving forward, what, what we're trying, well, at least what we're trying to do is to redefine the model and make sure that first that our threat intel model fits for our agency. That, that's the first key factor that we have to, to take into account. And then once we do that, what risks are specific for our agency? So, for example, I'm, you know, at Texas DPS, I'm worried about hacktivists. If some police officer does something in Texas, a lot of times the hacktivists will come out of us even if we had nothing to do with it, just because we represent that law enforcement entity. So, so it's very specific and threat, tied to our threat model is, is things we're looking for. And we want that targeted to intel. So instead of drinking from a fire hose, we want to be sipping from very concentrated, you know, quality H2O, if you will, um, that's relevant to the organization, and then it fits in our threat model. Just Googling threat intelligence, unbelievable. You hop on Gartner, and it's, it's unreal. So you know, what, what type of resources do you use that you found to be very helpful in gaining the appropriate knowledge that, that you need for your current firm, or you know, even on a more broad basis, say I just step into a CISO role, you know, where do I go first to, to figure this out? Well, that's, that's a little loaded question, and I'll, I'll try to answer the best I can without getting too much in the weeds. First of all, once you've established that threat model and, and you've established what you're looking for, like we said, there's a lot of resources out there from the ISACs and different intel feeds. The issue that we have uh, is usually they're using spreadsheets or PDFs, and they don't actually transition into something that's easily uh, justifiable or easy you know, put on the network that you could just set it and forget it. I mean, like it does take a step back. Even if they did have something similar to that, another issue is, is it actionable intel? Is it actually worth doing? So, for example, and I won't name names, but there was a, an entity that put out information on a nefarious uh, IP address that actually blocked Google. So if you just put that straight in your firewall and started blocking that IP address, you blocked Google. Fixing that into it, you, you can't just take in the data and say, yeah, that, that's good to go. 
One of the solutions that we found, and um, I'm giving them props, is Alien Vault's OTX or Open Thread Exchange. And the reason that, that we love this solution is, first of all, it's 100% free. And it's not limited and it's not a freemium, like you, you, know, you don't buy upgrades. It's, it's just free. And it, it makes it easy for any organization to kind of play in this, in this arena. It, you can use a web browser, log in um, if you need to, and it could be for any organization of any size, any budget, any maturity level. So the barrier of entry is extremely low. And that's, that's one of the reasons we, we prefer to use, use that. It's, it's vendor agnostic and it's standard agnostic. So that means it can work with a lot of other things. Some issues that we've had from, I don't want to name names, but some issues where they'll, they'll come up with something that's proprietary to them. And so it doesn't work well with a lot of our other devices. And it, it makes it more cumbersome when you're trying to, to do that with the Intel sharing. So like I, some of my guys will say, if you can use um, OTX, you can, you know, if you can use Facebook, you can use OTX. It's for that friendly. Sounds like a great tool. In your opinion, what's the biggest threat to organizations, you know, let's say larger than 500 people? Is it, you know, end users or is there something else out there that you think is a big threat at this point? Well, I think end users would be the, the number one answer for almost any CISO, but let, let's move past that. You know, that, that's kind of a given. And I would say it's lack of agility. So a lot of times you have unfamiliarity, unfamiliarity within the organization uh, when you're trying to justify investing in cybersecurity. It's kind of like a, a euphemism that, that has been used as insurance, except if you paid into insurance, it would actually reduce your risk if we're comparing it to cyber. But it, if, so, for example, if somebody from another country came over and, and you told them, no, you have to have you know, auto insurance, they wouldn't understand. They'd be like, I don't understand why I need to have this. It's called, well, if something bad happens. But to them, they might not understand it. So it's taking a foreign concept that you're trying to explain that somebody needs. The amount of money spent on cybersecurity versus the ROI is sometimes not seen very easily. And I, that's why I retain it to insurance, except the amount of money you put into cybersecurity will usually reduce the risk of something happening. So it would be the equivalent of I'm getting auto insurance, but it's reducing my risk of getting in a car accident would be the best way to put it. Okay. Now, talking a little bit more about the products that you had mentioned, what have you used or what have you deployed personally to you know, feed through you know, the marketing and the sales pitches, et cetera, and understand like you know, this is a best solution for our problem? Do you have any techniques, tactics that you can share on how to get through all that other peripheral information and, and get down to the facts, what's going to be best for your company? Well, a, a lot of times... That, that really depends on the, the model, again, the threat model that you choose. So you have to factor that in. But we found that there isn't, there isn't just one solution. There is no silver bullet, unfortunately, because if there was a, if there was a silver bullet, it would be so much easier. We just, I'd, we'd get that and it'd be done with it. However, there isn't a silver bullet, and it's kind of a piecemeal thing at the moment. Um, now, I am wholeheartedly, kind of like going back to Alien Vault OTX, I'm wholeheartedly pushing for a protocol some people prefer sticks and taxi, and that is definitely the buzzword that a lot of people will use when talking about threat intelligence. But it's still not as it's still not the protocol to use. It's still not okay. We're going to do this. I know another protocol that we're looking into is the, uh, the stoplight protocol, as far as sharing intel with other government agencies and really getting it where it's more automated. And that's what we're headed towards in the future. 
Now, whether we make sure we stick with only that protocol or there's other things involved, that's still kind of up in the air because, like I said, there is no silver bullet. So I'm assuming in the, in the future it will be a conglomerate of different intel threat sources that come together. So we as DPS have a, we have a, a unique position where we get intel feeds from DHS, we get intel feeds from MS Isaac, we get, get intel feeds from other state agencies within Austin. We get intel feed. You know, we're we're actually building an intel feed to work with the uh, the county at the county level. So where we're at has the ability to access a lot of data across the entire state of Texas, and we actually are looking into leveraging that through the fusion centers that we have at DPS and pushing it out to all the municipalities across the state of Texas. And this is this is obviously the three five year plan. But we would actually like to get to that point. I don't know if I could tell you the tool or protocol that we'll use to get there uh, because nobody can really determine the future. Sure. Moving a little bit towards the profession of, of cybersecurity, I know I touched on it previously, but man, you really rocketed your way to that, that CISO level. You know, how did you do it? Is there anything that you could share with someone that you may have a similar goal? Yes, actually, I do. I, I would say first, though, before talking to somebody that that wants to go in that role, I would say first they need to understand that the CISO is actually a very thankless role because when things are good, you won't hear a word of praise. There's not a lot of talk about it. It's when things go bad, um, which inevitably they will, when people start to question your direction. So you need to make sure you're going down the right path, the right reasons, which for me is you know just the passion and the dedication to the work because any other motivation is going to kind of quickly fizzle under the pressure that's tied to the job. Especially for mine with you know DPS for the state of Texas, I'm a I'm a Texan boy, so I, I I'm protecting you know my entire family pretty much data, and so there there's a lot of pride that goes with that. But someone that was looking to get to this role, I would say don't be afraid to fail and don't be afraid for change. I've found that the most successful I've been in my career has when somebody said, okay, who wants to do this project? And it's always a project that is either very difficult or is very time consuming, but nobody, nobody wants to do it. Nobody's like, oh, give me that one. And I'm like, you know what? I'll volunteer. I'll take that one. Because nobody wants it, it's usually the, the tougher uh, projects to have. But because they're more difficult, once you complete them, you've gained X amount of knowledge that now nobody else on the team has. And now you've become a valuable resource because no one else can do what you do. And you can leverage that to increase your role, you can leverage that to increase if you want the pay salary. You you can you can pretty much start to define your set requirements for your position if you become too invaluable where you're at. Whether it be a promotion, more money, whatever you deem that you feel is necessary. And I think taking on those roles and doing those those type of things has been able, at least from my point of view, to rocket me into that position. Yeah, you know, one thing you said, and you know, Kevin Williams, who we had City of Austin uh, says, oh, about you know, protecting the information of the people that you know, are closest to you, your neighbors. So he shared that it, he felt very prideful about that as well. Could you explain how that might be different for you, knowing that you know when you go in somewhere like this is me that I'm I'm securing this. This is you know kind of on me versus somebody that might be securing customers that are across the world. Yeah, no. Well, it and I think it I think it goes back to that passion and dedication that that we kind of mentioned earlier. You're securing someone's data and 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 that's important. But when you take on a a, a role in the in the in the 
government, especially considering pay-wise, my position is going to be paid more out in the business sector versus the government sector. You, you have to kind of own it, and there, there's a reason people take these positions, and I've found that most of the time it's, it's a matter of pride in whatever you're doing, pride in the state, pride in protecting that data, pride in knowing that I'm representing or I'm doing good for, for my family and my friends and protecting their data and their information. So it really hits home, and, and I find a lot of people that go into these roles, prior military or police officer, or they've done something, whether it, maybe they go to a charity organization, they donate their time to it, but they want to feel like they're doing something for the common good, and they're improving the world around them. And so they get a lot of pride and a lot of well-being from doing something like that. Yeah, no, it definitely sounds empowering. How would you define the role of the CISO? Just in general, how would you define the role? Not necessarily your role, but you know, how would you define a successful you know, CISO? I would say on, you know, on the broad strokes, it's a senior level strategist you know, who's in charge of protecting an entity's information or data. But I think if you delve down a little bit deeper, it's a pivotal role that you're trying to bridge the gap between the strategy and the operations level. And it even delves into teaching. Because uh, you're teaching the executives what the issues are and how your vision will fix what the issues are. And then you're taking that and you're transferring that vision into reality. I think it was uh, Joel Barker who said, vision without action is merely a dream. Action without vision is just passes the time. But vision with action can change the world. That's a motto that I almost kind of try to live live by. So you have to have both of those and you have to combine them. And I think the CISO role is that crux that they combine, that, that uh, where vision and action come together. And it relies on that position to move things forward. Okay. Can you put your finger on any thought, theory, or ideal that you might have that differs from your peers? Well, actually, I do. But it, it, it's, it might be jumping a little bit ahead. And it was, so some people say that there's a security gap, was it 10 million jobs by 2020 in the cybersecurity realm that will be unfilled? Something like that. Yeah, I read something like 1.8 unfilled IT security positions by 2020 or 2022, something like that. Something just came out like this past week. Right. And, and I actually, and this is where I differ a little bit with a lot of my peers. People probably get a little bit upset with me. And then there's another one I'll talk about where vendors get upset with me is that I don't know that there is a gap because we're defining that talent gap incorrectly. A lot of people, when they go out to hire talent, they might say, oh, well, um, they have to have a CISP and they have to do this and this and they have to meet these requirements. And a lot of times, the smartest people, at least in the cyber realm that I've, that I've met, they don't have a lot of those certifications. They don't have those degrees. I try to go to DEF CON as frequently as possible. And some of the guys out there are just brilliant. And what they do have is that passion and determination for cybersecurity. And they might not have the certifications and they might not have the degrees and, and whatnot, but they have that passion and they have that, I'm, this is what I'm interested in and this is what I'm going to excel at no matter what. I've found that a lot of my team that I've, that I've hired they have that one common trait and they do so well when you just kind of let them, let them go. Like you let the reins go and they will 
take you to a full sprint. And you, they'll, they'll do things that you didn't even expect them to do, and they'll go far and beyond that. And a lot of my colleagues will tell you that, you know, there's a talent gap, and, and a lot of times they'll use that justifiably, justifiably, to ask for more rate wages for their people or to ask for an increase in salary. Uh, and that is, I'm, I'm not saying that's not justifiable because it is because the salaries for cybersecurity experts are going up. So you do have to pay them a little bit more than, say, you know, a normal network architect versus a cybersecurity network architect. But I believe that that's propagated a little bit. And if we redefine our vision or our issue of what exactly we're looking for as our industry, I think we'll find that the talent gap, while it's still there, is not as large as we assume it to be. You know, that's why we're here <laughs> is to address that talent gap. And, and I couldn't agree with you more. I think that we are stuck looking at a resume, not seeing what we want to see, computer science degree, certifications, cloud security experience. We get stuck looking for that. And when we don't see it, we you discard exceptional talent. Just appreciate your your approach to, to thinking that way. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I'll share that last time we went up a cybersecurity analyst, and I think we had... I want to say 50 applicants and the hardest part from the applicants was going through and trying to reduce it to a feasible number to interview. Mm -hmm. So we've gotten talented people and the difficult part is to read kind of between the lines to say, okay, who, who is really going to take this and run with it versus who is just has alphabet soup after their name, but they might not have the experience or the passion that goes along with it. You know, just cause I have a, I have a CISP that that, that doesn't mean that, that I'm passionate about cybersecurity. I just, I just happen to be. Uh, but that, that's not, there is no direct correlation that, oh, he has a CISP, so he knows everything about cybersecurity or he's passionate about it. No, it, it, you have to find someone that's passionate about it. And oftentimes they will have certifications, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they have to. So how do you do it? I think that's the question of the day. How do you read between the lines? How do you identify that individual that has that true burning passion? Because I can imagine um, you know, in an interview, especially if it's a job that somebody wants, anyone's going to make it seem like they're very interested and excited and, and ready to rock and roll. So yeah, how do you read between the lines and how do you judge that character successfully? So a, a lot of times it's you'll ask them, well, what do they do on their free time or their spare time or how did they get into the industry? Or one of my favorite questions, and I won't be able to use this, anybody that listens to the podcast, is what's your favorite version of Linux and why? And, and it, you know, if somebody tells me, well, I don't really use Linux, then I just know there's a Windows person. But if they at least say, oh, I've dabbled a little bit, you know, I mean, you know, I, I do Pin 2 or Gen 2 or Ubuntu or whatever version they want to use. If they say BSD, then I'm like, I'm definitely interested. You've piqued my interest. But if they, even if they just say anything, that means that they've, even if they're a Windows person, they've at least looked at it and they've at least spun up a VM, you know, and played around with it and said, hey, you know, let me, let me throw up Wireshark and do some traffic analysis or Nessus or, or some of the tools that, that come standard in, in some of the, you know, the versions, the, the hacking versions. So it's, it's really the, the level that they do on their off time and, you know, just this podcast. If they tell me that they, you know, they listen to these podcasts. Uh, which I do. I, usually I'm on the ride home and I'll listen to either cybersecurity, sometimes fantasy football. It just depends on what day it is. But I'm always interested in finding out what my peers are doing and what the newest and latest trends are so I could plan plan ahead. Obviously, I, I, want, I you know, have to have that strategy and I need to maybe alter my vision sometimes about how we're going to 
put that into action. But I'm doing it on my off time. I'm not getting paid to to listen to podcasts like like the great ones like yours, or I'm not getting paid when I go home, you know, to to spin up a VM and and play around on the network and see, well, you know, is this a vulnerability or, you know, is it? Do I really need to worry about it or or anything like that? So if someone that's passionate about it, the the, the clock doesn't stop at five o'clock. It just keeps going, and and they're so into it that. That they don't that sometimes they don't see anything else because that's just what they want to do and and you you could tell usually if you start talking to somebody and and find out you know what their interests are and things of that nature you it'll it'll be pretty evident that they're passionate about it and they want to learn more even if they don't get this position that's not going to stop them they're going to keep going you know they will be in cybersecurity you this is one thing that you know I've been on an interview before and they've you know kind of asked me and and I've kind of told them very politely that, you know, you, even if you don't hire me, that's fine. I'm going to end up in this position and I will succeed. And hopefully you get somebody good. They might be better than me. They might be worse than me, but, but I'm, I'm going to succeed no matter what, because this is mm-hmm. what I love to do. Yep. So it sounds like goes without asking, you'd be doing this no matter what. Yes. No, I, I would be doing this no matter what. Um, I will be doing this no matter what. They took a poll and I thought it was it was very telling. So I'm I'm in the um, the MBA program at nights going to UT, and they they kind of took a poll and you you had three options. You know why are you ta- why are you in the MBA program? Is it do you want to change careers? Do you want to go into consulting or do you want to stay in the same career field? Those were kind of like your three options. I was almost shocked and appalled because most of the people were in a career field that they didn't enjoy and they didn't want to do. And to me, I was I was almost flabbergasted, which would be the correct terminology, even though it's a funny word, um, that so many people were doing that because I couldn't see myself in another role. I, I couldn't see myself being a, even a CIO. I don't know that I could do that role because I don't think it would fuel my passion or I would be as, as interested in it as the CISO role. When you look at that and when you look at you know, looking for those type of people, I think that's the key and that's, that's pivotal in any program. Yeah, so just more, I guess, for my personal interest, getting into to your mind a little deeper. Let's say everything was taken care of monetarily; don't have to worry about a thing there. What would you work on every day? What would you log in and and you know, start to do? Uh, I would. <laughs> it's funny you say that because you know you always like to play the game. You know, if I won the lottery, which is a is a fun game, I would probably have a combination of your job. <laughs> I don't want your job, so let's let's be clear. But as far as doing a, doing a, I don't want you to feel threatened, but like doing a podcast about information security and talking to other professionals, because I I think what you do is needed to bring light to cybersecurity as a whole. But I find it just very interesting to see other people's thought processes and other people where they see cybersecurity going and how they think, and then doing a differential, a gap analysis of where do I think and Maybe it helps me saying, you know what, that's something I didn't think about. That's something I need to do. Or it could maybe say I'm, I need to make sure I answer it differently because I don't want to sound this way because maybe, maybe you could take it incorrectly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I would probably do my own startup doing cybersecurity as well. That's yeah. actually one thing that I may look in the future going into as far as and it was part of the reason I might have gotten an MBA from UT is just to have that ability. Uh, so if, if you see a gap and you see a way to, to fix a solution, 
and something that you're passionate about, man, that's a win. You'll never work a day in your life. Mm-hmm. You know? um, and so if, if I did win the lottery and, and could kind of do whatever I want, to be honest, I, I don't know that I'd do anything differently, except I might open up side business just doing it kind of for fun. Um, and then maybe even a podcast or, or maybe co-host with you on your podcast. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds awesome. <laughs> so product business, professional services, uh, virtual CISO, what, what do you think? Well, I, I don't want to get too, too, I don't want to give away my model too much, but it was, <laughs> it was more of a SaaS security, um, the SaaS solution. So security as a service solution, I, I would think that the, the model I, me and one of my good buddies have come up with would be a, a, a great solution for a lot of things. I don't want to, I don't want to spill the beans or, or put too much out though. Cause it, it, you know, yeah. it, might, it might not come to fruition. I might, <laughs> you know, stay right where I'm at or it might come to fruition and we're doing a podcast three, you know, 10 years from now talking about that. Yeah. Um, let's keep that tight lift. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, no. Feel, feel free to, feel free to edit that one out of the, the recording <laughs> play. <laughs> Yeah, but but yeah, no, it, it would definitely be that solution. But like I said, I would I wouldn't mind doing a co-hosting a podcast with you, or, or or just staying in the realm, but just finding out more information and expanding my breath on cybersecurity. Because I, from my point of view, it's it's endless. You, you'll never know everything, but it's so much fun to try. You know, it's so much fun to expand your knowledge and 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 learn more. That's why I love when I go to DefCon and Black Hat. I just like to sit back and soak it in and just enjoy all of this information and meeting all of these highly intelligent people that are just doing great things and just kind of like take a moment to appreciate where I'm at because I, I feel like I'm, I've been very, very blessed in life and just knowing kind of where you're at and, and taking that breadth of information from other people that have different points of view that even if you disagree with them, it's still good to know that point of view, even Later down the road, somebody else might have the same point of view, and you've been given the opportunity to think about it and determine, this is why I disagree with you, and this is why. So you make a logical argument against it, which you wouldn't have given that opportunity had you not talked to that person or thought about it beforehand. Mm-hmm. Uh, just things like that are fascinating to me, and I love, love them. Love them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit more about retainment um, and talent. So I'm in an interesting position because you know I speak with individuals that are you know, actively looking for cybersecurity talent or you know you talk to them they're like no my team's rock solid providing all the training experience opportunities for people to grow etc but then on the other side you know I've talked to your employees and they're ready to go. You know, so there's there's that weird paradigm. You know, I, I think that if someone doesn't think that there's a retainment issue, I think that's a little bit silly and imagine you feel similar in, in that respect. So, you know, I, I do recall you saying that you guys are doing fantastic at, at you know, strategies and ideas in place to to keep retainment and then to keep the top talent around. So, you know, first off, what do you think is is really driving those issues? So there isn't a talent gap as much as there is a a need for cybersecurity experts, and it's driven usually by, like I said, certifications or degrees or, or whatnot. And so because there is that lack of what the industry perceives as a talent gap, the financial requirements for some of those positions have gone up exponentially, which being in this field, you would think I'd be, yes, you know, because that means I'm, I'm going to make more money personally. But I think it boils down to the person. So we've lost, uh, I'll tell you, we've lost two. And since, since my time tenure here, 
we've lost two individuals. And I will say that it was a monetary reason for losing them. It was nothing else as far as about they enjoyed the work, they loved it. One, even I would dare say, he said, if you could pay me the same, I would stay here in a heartbeat. And But we, we just couldn't. We're a state agency. So we are restricted a little bit on that, that front end. Um, but you, it also weighs out to the individuals. So if they need to make more money, that's that's on them. And I want them to succeed mm-hmm. in what they deem is they're succeeding. So if, if they deem that making the most money possible is them succeeding, then I, I want them to succeed, even if it's not with us. Mm-hmm. But the individuals that we are trying to recruit, and I'll, I'll tell you, we we do above and beyond, in my opinion, of recruiting. And, and I'll, let, me, let me expand on that. We first, we are in Cyber Patriot, which supports two high schools to go and, and do cybersecurity and compete at a, at a, a national level. So that, that's the first ring. Second of all, we have a high school intern program, which we specifically recruit from those two programs. Uh, now, any, anybody can, can be in it because we, we want someone that's passionate, but a lot of times it ends up that the people that are in those high school Cyber Patriot programs are the ones that make it to the high school internship. So we actually have an high school internship that we bring them in and let them get a feel for things and, and, and kind of like a little breath of all the cybersecurity. Do they want to be operations or do they want to be risk and vulnerability team? What are they like? What are their, you know, what are their passions? What are they curious about? From there, we actually have, it, was, it used to be a paid internship. Lately, depending on funds, it hasn't been this last year, but we try to ensure it's a paid internship for college and graduate levels. And we've had great success from the local, just the local colleges, bringing them in, Sam Houston State University, Texas A&M, UT, UTSA, just, just the local ones in this area. And we're expanding even to, to other entities, other colleges that are, that are finding out about it. But it's a paid internship uh, during the summer, and we can evaluate that talent because there, a lot of them will be graduating in the near future and looking for positions. So if we've gone through those two steps, we've, I think we've hired, I want to say, four or five, maybe even seven interns. I'd have to calculate it from that. But we, we get a feel for who's passionate about it. We get a feel for what they want to do. And then when we have positions that come open, they're usually one of the people that apply, and they already they already know the system. They already know, yes, no, this is what I want to do. And I, you know, I use these tools. And so it makes the transition a lot easier. So that tells you about the recruitment we go to and the, the level of detail that we're going in to find these, these talented people that have a passion for it. Once you hire them, then there's, there's a, then it, it kind of shifts and you have to train them. A lot of my peers they might they might send them to one training or or be like, well, that's kind of expensive. You got to find something local. And for all intents and purposes, I've found that SANS it, it's got the name for it, but SANS is the you know for training people, they're they're the top of the line at least in in my scope that I've dealt with. So we I send my people to SANS training. I know it's a little bit pricey, but I know that they're getting some of the best instruction they can. And then I also in retaining them, I want to empower them. Once they're trained up, once they have that level of experience that they feel comfortable, I empower them. And a lot of terminology that's used for the military is commander's intent. So sometimes I'll just give them commander's intent and say, this is what I need done. Go do it. And as long as I pres- provide them with the resources, as long as they have the the passion behind it, and as long as they have at least the minimum level of training, which we already talked about that, you know, is you have to get that done. You have to train your people. 
they will every time, I would say 99% of the time, they've far exceeded my expectations, and they have just taken it and ran with it. Uh, one example that, that I'll say is we, one of my um, operations managers, Eric Capuano, who's a brilliant guy, brilliant guy, and we, we sat down and we were discussing one day and we, we were talking about there we had a gap as far as when we're, we have the analysts on the network, the first time they see an attack is usually on the network. Uh, and they don't have that training, not in a sense of like certifications, but training working as a team, working as a group in a live exercise, hands-on keyboard, not white carding where we're going to talk about it, but actually like, let's do it. Let's do a, an, an event. And so we were talking about it and Eric's like, I got an idea. Do you mind if I run with it? And I was like, go forth, sir. Go forth and prosper. He built a cert range with the team. Um, we, you know, we brought in the, the network security architects. We brought in the analysts. We brought in all of the people working a little bit in a team effort to build a range, cyber emergency response range. So a blue team gets on the network, and they have a SIM up. They have firewalls. They have everything, all that a normal stock analyst would have. And then we launch attacks at them. And so, one, they have to figure out, well, what does the attack look like? And then, two, how do they defend against it, and what do they do? And the first time we ran it, we saw the, the benefits in our own team of, hey, our, our team is working so much better now, so much together as a cohesive unit. So if something does happen, they're not worried. They're not, they don't know what to do. They're like, oh, this is just like the simulation range. I'm just going to do this, this, and this. And we saw the value in it. We've expanded that now. And I think we've presented it B-Sides Austin, LazeCon this, this, this past week or two. And I believe this weekend it's going to be presented in uh, B-Sides Dallas. And it's grown exponentially. And we have teams set up that are actually wanting to go to it now and wanting to participate. And they're also looking at it as far as training other state agencies and other municipalities are calling us saying, hey, when are you going to do this training again? We would like to be involved and we want our almost entire security team there to train to build that camaraderie and to build, you know, that that level that base level knowledge. If you you know rewind, I had no clue that it would blow up and go to this extent. You know, it, it originally it was just, hey, you know, here's an idea. What can we do to get the team more involved, cohesive unit working together? And the team came together and built this range as a unit. So first of all, you have the team building it as a unit. Then second of all, you have the team jumping on it and actually using it as a unit to, to, to train on what happens on, on a cybersecurity incident. The ROI on that project was exponential, and, and it, it cost us very little, uh, maybe a few man hours and a, and a few extra servers that we had laying around. But it was just uh, amazing to see that come to fruition. And a lot of times that happens if you, you know, you have to find somebody that's passionate. Like I said, they have the training, but if you just kind of let the reins go a little bit, trust them, they will far exceed your expectations, which could tie back to a lot of the CISOs, uh, at least that I deal with, a lot of them don't have that same philosophy. And they feel that it's a controlled environment and they have to control everything the person does. And I would say that that philosophy works if you're dealing with people that, that aren't passionate about what they do. I would say that, yes, they have to do that, but that might be because they didn't hire those passionate people. They're going to do it no matter what. 
So if you solve that problem, which I believe is the is the toughest, is finding the fact the, the passionate people, but they're out there. You just have to know what you're looking for. It it's a trickle down effect, and it solves so many other issues. Let's hop into to overrated, underrated. Got a couple good ones here for you. Curious on on your thoughts. So let's get things started with blockchain. Overrated or underrated? Oh <laughs> man, you're you are giving some good ones. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I'm going to say underrated, and I'll tell you why. I think that blockchain, and I know it's a, it's a buzzword right now, but actually I don't think it's giving, getting the visibility that it needs to, and I, 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 I think it could solve a lot of problems. And, and this, I know this is, this is a, a, I don't want to say a shot in the dark. We could go into a lot of detail with it, depending on the level you wanted to go to, but I believe blockchain could actually, at its core, I would say at its core, solve a lot of problems that people haven't even thought about yet and solve a lot of issues that today's society is dealing with that they don't even know that they could. And, and, and I'll give you an example. We have another talented, very passionate individual that's working for us. Uh, her name is Jennifer Carson. And she's actually doing her thesis for her uh, digital forensics master's at San Jose State University in blockchain. And we actually sat down the other day and had a wonderful conversation about blockchain for uh, voters, uh, using voter registration and using blockchain to solve that solution. And I'll, I'll, let, some, I'll let you all look up her thesis once it's published and, and go into more detail. Uh, but it was just, it was very interesting and enlightening to think about all the solutions and all the issues that, that we kind of haven't maybe even thought about yet. And maybe said, you know, maybe if we try this way, we could look at it as a solution. So I think blockchain is underrated in that it, it could solve us a lot of solutions that people aren't realizing yet. And I think in the next, I would say 10 to 15 years, it will be a staple that people don't even question anymore. It'll almost be like antivirus. Yeah, you gotta have it. It, it might not be as useful as it you know, once was, but you gotta have it. And I think blockchain will be, you gotta have it. You know, it might not be cutting edge like it used to, and this is obviously 15 years in the future, that it, it'll, it'll be one of those just givens. Uh, but I will say when, it, when we're talking about the future, there is no set standard. So don't, don't get me wrong on that one. There is no way to determine, you know, the future, what the next big product will be, what the next big threat will be. You can only make the best guess you can with the information you're given and hope that you're right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay. Great insight there. I'm afraid that my uh, next couple of topics are going to go downhill from there, but uh, oh, oh, let's keep well. it moving. <laughs> so next one, the CISO staying hands-on technical. Is that overrated or underrated? <laughs> Actually, I, I, would, I would, that's such a great question. I don't think they're going downhill because what you did is you actually, it's a loaded question. It's a very loaded question. And I'll, I'll tell you why. So by asking someone that, especially a CISO, it has to be a CISO, let me rephrase that. It has to be a CISO that you ask. It's determining, were they technical, one, and two, do they miss it? That's kind of, <laughs> kind of, that's kind of really the crux of it. Yeah. I would say neither. I would say it depends on the individual. So it's neither overrated nor underrated. I personally love doing hands-on stuff, and I don't get to do it as much as I would like to. So that would be my comment for the underrated is I would say that, that I miss it. 
I don't do it as much as I like to. I would love to do it more. And if I had more opportunity, then I, I would. Because my background was more hands-on, and now obviously I'm not. Mm-hmm. The overrated portion, I would, I would argue and I would say, would be if we look at, and this is almost a philosophical question, if we look at what someone wants to do or their, their level of expertise or how good someone is when you judge someone, a lot of times the people that are the best at something are very specific, and they've, got, they've, they've narrowed it down to something very tangible, and they have excelled at their craft, if you will. And, and so the CISO role, while it has many facets and many levels, the strategy and the operations are one that are pivotal, and, and you have to have that vision. So I think it would be, I don't want to say biased, um, um, it, it, it would be short-sighted of me to invest time on staying hands-on in the CISO role because it would take time away from me investing that same amount of time bettering my craft for the vision and strategy portion of it and determining where we're going to go. Would I like to be hands-on? Yes, every CISO, every CISO that was hands-on would like to be hands-on because it's the age-old question, remember back when, you know, and how good things used to be and how simple it was. Every CISO that was hands-on will answer that question. However, those that remain hands-on, I would, I would say, unless it's in your off time, which even in your off time, you want to dedicate that to coming up with a strategy and the vision because the CISO role, you are one of the few on the team that are creating that strategy and then creating that vision. I have multiple people that do the hands-on portion. I have those people, and they are, they're very, very good at their job. And I will never... In my role as a CISO, I will never be as good right now, snapshot in time, VM snapshot, as they are right now. So they're doing hands-on stuff as we speak, and I'm in the CISO role. Even if I went home and did hands-on stuff, I won't be as good as they are. Because, and, and, but I'm hiring the, the passionate people that just do this, and that's what they love. So that is an unfair and unjust to my role to do that. Now, I'm not in the same snapshot. They're not thinking strategy and vision like I am. I mean, I'm sure they are at some level, but they're not having the overarching strategy and, the, and pushing the vision like I am and dealing with the, the C-level executives, but that's not their job. Mm-hmm. So I would, I would say that moving forward, as much as I would love to be hands-on, it's better for the agency, it's better for cybersecurity team that I'm on to dedicate my time and my energy and resources to being the best CISO I can be. And the best CISO you could be is not a hands-on CISO. It's the strategy and vision that goes along with it. I, I say that kind of cringing because when I, when I hear CISOs say that, oh, no, you don't have to be hands-on. You need to be, you know, it's a vision and strategy. I'm like, well, you've never been hands-on, so you don't miss it. So that's why. It's very tough for me to, to admit that and to say that. Feel free to edit that one as well. <laughs> but um, in the end, it's what's best. And so it's, it's, a tough, it's a tough pill to swallow is what it amounts to. Okay. All right. Last one. From a security perspective, specifically issues that arise you know, from this, BYOD, bring your own device, overrated or underrated? <laughs> ben, I hate to tell you this, but every one of your overrated, under, underrated questions are excellent. I don't know. I don't, <laughs> I don't think there was a drop off. I, I think you were, you were setting me up for failure on that one because BYOD, I mean, that's Man, that's a topic. I, I feel like we could spend 30 minutes just talking about BYOD. Underrated or overrated? It, it just, 
Seven. It, it depends on the, you know, and I said it's 42, uh, the correct answer. Um, it just depends on if you have the controls in place to handle BYOD, then, you know, you don't have to worry about it. But I know very, very few entities that have BYOD under control. Very few. And so I would probably say underrated from a technology point of view, but overrated from a buzzword, if that makes any sense. So totally. overrated because that's what the business wants to do because the ROI is you actually save money. Um, and that's why BYOD is interesting is because the, the person gets to work on their computer. That's what they, they're used to. Their efficiencies go up. You don't have to supply them a computer. You don't have to supply them a lot of the controls that go into place. You save money, so your ROI on that individual goes up from the business point of view. And that's why they want to talk about it, and they like it, and they like to, to push that. From a cybersecurity point of view, it's underrated because we don't, industry speaking, and in from my point of view, we don't have the controls in place to handle that. We don't have the controls in place to handle the data. There's very few entities that have no worries about, you know, the data that's traversing their network or, or someone's, someone's device. I have known several instances where BYOD was a detriment to the agency, just, just one or two issues. Now, overall, it might save them X amount of money, but then it's your job and, and yours and like the CISO's job to validate, is that amount of money worth the risk that you're taking? And that's something that you have to kind of determine and discuss with the C-levels and executives because you need to bring them in, involved in it as well. So you're saying, hey, guys and gals, this is the scenario. This is what I think. And we're CISO, so we're always going to take the, the you know, risk-averse safe route. But it's going to cost X amount of money. And so that's a decision for them to make with, with the CISO as, a, as kind of a hand-in-hand. Hand. And it, it helps because when you do that with the C-level executives, they also feel like and know that you're not trying to bamboozle them or you're not trying to get money for nothing. You're not trying to pull the, the wool over their eyes, so to speak. You're bringing them in because you are evaluating the risk, the agency, and you're educating them. Like I said earlier, the CISO role is to educate. You're educating them on is it worth it or not, and you're letting them help make that decision. And, and that's been very beneficial in my, my current role uh, doing things of that nature. Awesome. Okay, great. Well, hey, thanks so much, Aaron. It's been great having you on. Ben, anytime. Appreciate it. If, if you want to talk to some of my other people on my team, let me know. Great, great insight. And, and we're just doing the best we can for the state of Texas. We want to thank everyone for listening to today's podcast brought to you by Nexus IT Group. If you're looking for a new career challenge, let's chat. If you're looking to hire new talent, reach out. Or if you just want to talk about cybersecurity, email us at info at nexusitgroup.com. Until next time, stay safe and stay secure.